experience. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience presented by DraftKings 2021 BMW Championship Picks, Research, and First Look. You want to play in the final Pat Mayo Experience Listeners League of the Year, rake-free on DraftKings, hit the description. It's right down there. We're going to be starting NFL, the Giant Week 1 contest, which is also rake-free next week. Smash the like button to the episode, subscribe to Mayo Media Network, and the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. You really want to help us out, but in the comment section, you tell me who you think is the uh, the early lean on the FedEx Cup that isn't John Rom. Can't say John Rom. which guy is going to win the FedEx Cup that is not John Rom. You say, no one? Well, that works for the algorithm, too, so I don't really care. Just put something down there, and we're going to be pretty happy about it moving forward. Obviously, the Northern Trust has been delayed until Monday for its final round, so we only have three rounds of data on FantasyNational.com slash Mayo to get yourself that 20% discount, by the way, if you want to work through all the tools and everything. It's not like golf has stopped or is stopping anytime soon, so Fantasy National, very relevant all year round and especially relevant during the swing season when we have these crappy fields and the simulator does some good work when there are crappy fields so that's the time to really deploy fantasy national to the best of its uses and all of the tools that it's had but the final round will conclude on wednesday after monday afternoon so we're pushing the golf show with jeff to tuesday for the picks the DraftKings show to wednesday monday all the fantasy football walkthrough show for stats and tools and research this year if you like fantasy national you're going to love run the sims.com run the sims.com slash mayo will get you a discount and if you get the package right now the full package which includes the customizable game simulator the customizable dfs optimizer the showdown optimizer all of the betting tools those are all the premium products but if you sign up right now test out the premium product and say fuck this this isn't for me i don't like it you can cancel within seven days get your money back that can be your free trial if you want to but if you're just into season long or you just want to research our advanced stats hub is completely free to everyone who just logs in you don't have to pay anything put down a credit card or anything like that and you can really do some good work on the play-by-play levels of all of the information that we have up there and we've made it as easily sortable as fantasy national so if you're good with fantasy national you'll have no problem problems breaking down all of the stuff and you can search whatever you want from the nfl season and we'll have that updated week by week in season two to help your process go forward so run the sims.com slash mayo full show out on monday for that one but let's talk about this course actually let's talk about the northern trust just for a minute I actually think this shapes up really well for Tony Finau, Uh, not only because I have money on him for the first time in two years, and I would like to see him win, but it's always this circumstance that Jeff and I have talked about, or when are these guys going to break through? Now, this never happens, but theoretically, this is like what we want to have happen. Finau plays good enough in the third round that he's still in either, depending on if they go out in twos or threes, I think it's still going to be in twos unless they're really trying to save time. So he's either in the third to last group or the second to last group. He's not in that final group, which I think is important. We also have a day off. We also have a Monday finish where there's just going to be, I mean, it's a high stakes event. The first leg of the FedEx Cup playoffs. It could really, like if Finau wins this, he's essentially assured a spot on the Ryder Cup team at this point. I think so, at least winning a premier event in the playoffs like this, this close to the Ryder Cup selection just recency bias will end up getting him on the team because it shows that he's back from his midseason malaise however 
it just feels like, well, it is a high profile event, a Monday finish, not many people paying attention, very few people at the course, not many people watching. He's not playing in the final group. It actually seems like not so pressure packed and people just expect him to blow it this time. But he, now he's not even blowing it. He actually has to chase from a two stroke deficit. So I actually think this is not to say that he's going to win, but I think it's the best circumstance for him to go out and post like a minus seven, hope that's good enough and watch other people not get there behind him. So if he can do that, or at least just say inside the top five, Aaron Wise comes inside the top 20, I can finally have myself a nice week and have a nice bankroll going into football season and the swing season for golf. So uh, we'll take a look at the three round stats a little bit towards the end of this show, but I want to jump into the BMW Championship because it's at a course that we've never really seen before. Uh, it's hosted a few other events, like it hosted the 1995 Mid-Amateur, the 2005 Division I Men's Championship, the 2009 Women's Div One Championship, the AG, AJGA Cannon Cup in 1997 and 2004, uh, the, 20, the 2002 U.S. Seniors Open, the 2017 Seniors Player, the one that is the most important to look at. I mean, it's not even really that important to look at, to tell you the truth, but it hosted the Palmer Cup in 2017. Uh, that year on the U.S. team, you had Brian Harmon, Billy Horschel, Dustin Johnson, Chris Kirk, Luke List, and Webb Simpson. All could be in the field, probably not Luke List, at the BMW Championship, at least by the projected standings right now. But a lot of it depends on how that's going to work itself out throughout the course of Sunday or on Monday when these guys end up finishing and jockeying for points to get inside the top 70. There's no cut at the BMW Championship, too, by the way. So you have to play it like it's a... WGC type tournaments. We'll have the full breakdown on Tuesday and Wednesday for that. Once we get the pricing, we get the odds, everything. Uh, there's only 600 members at this course. It's a hundred K initiation fee to join 20 K a year after that. So not a lot of people know that much about it. And it's been lengthened uh, because that's why it never hosted a PGA event before. It was just too short. So that's difficult to really know going into it, how that's really going to play out. And we have three guys who are projected to be in the field that we don't know what their circumstances are going in. Patrick, Reed withdrew earlier this week. If you're a newsletter subscriber, you got that information in your email and hopefully you had a chance to switch your lineups. I try not to blast out too many emails or spam people, but I thought that was something that they would want to know if they had Patrick Reed in their lineups, that he's not actually playing this week and it happened 40 minutes before lock time. So hopefully you caught that and didn't end up with Patrick Reed in your lineup. I feel for you guys on the West Coast because if you had Patrick Reed in, there was no way you were waking up at like 3 a.m. to change your lineup. So that sucks. Um... Hopefully you pivoted on to Tony Finau or something like that. Or Paul Casey, who's already lost like seven strokes putting for the week. Not great, Paul. But at the same time, you can probably figure it out. Um, that's why the newsletter to me is important. So I can put out when I learn new information that I deem as pertinent for people. That is something that I want to throw out. So Patrick Reed, we don't know what his status is going to be with this ankle injury. Louis back is still acting up. I think it's his back, whatever. He didn't play the last two weeks. We'll see if he's back for the BMW championship. I believe he has enough FedEx cup points to get himself. Yeah, he's, he's into East Lake either way, but you would want to be able to jockey for position going through that as well. So you're not you know, starting at a huge deficit based on how the tour championship scoring works at the same time. By the way, the tour championship picks and bet show with Jeff and I will be out on Tuesday that week because Monday NFC win totals with me, Cust and Jeff. We're back in. Basically, the Tour Championship is the overall complete flip back into full-time fantasy football season. Fantasy Golf Degenerates will still have a betting show every week on Mayo Media Network. Sky and Tom will have the Pick show. I will have my DraftKings show for PGA. But for me, it's going to be NFL full-time because, you know, 
The last week of August through the first week of October is actually where we make all of our money because that is the most interest in the channel. So if you can subscribe, tell people if they're into fantasy football to go check that out. And I'm going to be doubling up with fantasy football and golf shows for the next two weeks until we turn the page completely with that NFC win total show. One of the best shows of the year, by the way. And we have a cuss corner in the game. We got some awesome content coming out for you over the next little bit. The final guy to watch out for, injury-wise at least, is Colin Morikawa. Apparently, he hurt his back in the final round, or at least at the Olympics. Didn't say anything to anyone until post-round on Thursday after Pat has 60% exposure to him on DraftKings, which that was information that, I don't know, could have been brought to my attention yesterday! Although it probably wouldn't have changed anything for me, because the narrative actually would have went, oh, Colin Morikawa is dealing with a back injury. Oh, no, now, no, now, no, now no one's playing Colin Morikawa. I'm going to play Colin Morikawa at exactly the same rate that I did anyway, so it was probably just a push for me. It really didn't matter. I wish him health, because I love Colin Morikawa. I hope he's healthy. He can make a run. This FedEx Cup playoffs, even, even if he has to take the week off, he's ahead of Louis in the standings when you win a WGC and win a major and have some other high finishes, you're going to look pretty good in the FedEx Cup standings, even if you don't really do anything in the playoffs he should be still well situated for east lake and be a legitimate threat he'd be my guy to watch out for i think he can go really low at east lake i think his game if he can make some putts is perfect for east lake we even saw a little bit of that last year that's sort of where he started rebounding again after the malaise post winning the pga championship for him so Best of luck, Colin Morikawa. I hope stuff comes through for you. Let's shift on to this week and take a look at the scorecard. And the first thing you're going to notice, it is a lengthier course than what it had been previously. 7,542 yards. It's a par 72, so it's actually not that much longer than the course this week. There's just an extra par 5. So essentially, the extra par 5 yardage, if you throw that onto Liberty National, would get you around 7,550 yards uh, if you just added one more score to par from there. So it's a par 72, bent grass green, 70 players in the field. There is no cut. And the biggest thing that stands out to me, we'll do a course by hole by hole breakthrough here in a second is that there are six par fours from 400 450 to 500 yards and there are three par fours from 350 to 400 two of which look pretty drivable three if you're bryson maybe or if brandon haggy makes it through or if you just got a lot of guts and want to carry some water not a bounty of water on this course i think it's only in play on like four holes a lot of sand though so 450 to 500 yards bunker play 350 to 400 then obviously the the random other stuff uh, strokes gained approach. I don't know how the wind is going to affect this tournament, obviously, as of yet. I don't know how long the rough is, because looking at this course, like, on paper and looking at the layout, it looks like it's going to be super easy. So you think that they're going to have to, you know, crank it up a bit, because you could say the same thing about Olympia Fields last year at the BMW Championship, where if the rough wasn't so penal, guys would have shot, like, minus 25. And instead, it turned out to be one of the hardest courses of the year, because if you put it in the rough, you were essentially dead. So being in the bunker might be better than being in the rough if the rough is up. But although I have no indications that that's actually going to happen this year. Uh, the new bunkers and teeing grounds were created. That's the upgrade to this. And difficulty has been added to the rough. But again, uh, you really need to look at what is going on day, week of when the guys get there to see like how penal it might actually be. And generally, when there is super long rough, that's outrageous. There's like a social media buzz about it. So you'll know that going into it. The other thing is when you go to, let's just go over to the site here and go through the hole by hole. Uh, this is cavesvalley.net. Uh, if you want to go look at the hole by hole, but if you compare it to the scorecard, hole number 10 is actually hole number one and hole number one is actually hole number 10. As I found out when I was like, none of this matches up. So the hole 10 is actually hole number one. 
So when we look at this course, like I said, it doesn't look too daunting. This one could be drivable. Uh, it's 366. Uh, it's straight away. There's bunkers in front of it. Guys might go bombs away. It's hard to know how what the elevation changes are by it. Uh, like it says here, do not be fooled by the others. The 60-yard pitch shot is one of the hardest in golf, playing from a downhill eye to a green that runs from front to back. So guys might just, instead of laying it up 60 yards to the green, they might just go for the green and try to pitch it up and down, even try to fly the green. I know that's a long way to fly it. Maybe it gets held up in the rough. So I'm curious to see. This looks like it could be drivable with the right tee box, however. Then you have a par five that's a little bit right to left, but you just have to avoid these bunkers. Seems pretty easy. Uh, if the rough is up, fairways gained is obviously going to play a big thing. So the guys that have driving distance but also keep it in the fairway, the John Roms of the world, the Dustin Johnsons of the world would probably be the ones that you'd be looking for. Rory would be another one in that circumstance as well. Par threes are all pretty difficult. All three par threes, I think there's one that's like 196, but 200 to 225 par three scoring is something to look at in this circumstance. Like this one, if we just jump back over to the scorecard, you can see 224, 223, 221, and 192. Even if you just wanted to add in 200 yard plus proximity on approach play, that way you can get all of these holes as approach play on it. Although that still includes like 300 yard approaches, but you know it's not the easiest thing to narrow a lot of this stuff down. But you would also get second shots on par fives included in that mix of plus 200 yard proximity. So you could even juxtapose the par three range and the proximity next to each other in your custom stat model. And maybe that can spit you out and take like the best aggregation, the best summation of those two. Uh, actually, it'd be the lowest. So because you want the highest, like one and one is what you would want. So that'd be two. So that'd be the lowest summation of the ranks in that category to find out which players you actually do want to tailor everything around. So the 200 yard plus 200 to 225 yard par threes is something to look at as well. As you can see, a lot of bunkers, not a whole lot of water here. And if you're looking at the screen right now, uh, you know where Pat would be. I'd probably actually find this like water in the fescue somehow. That would be fun. Pat, Pat's going to the drop zone on this one. A lot of thin greens on this course, long, but thin right to left greens. It doesn't seem like they have a lot of depth to them. I couldn't find any information on the square footage of the greens, but they seem to be uniquely shaped rather than like giant round surfaces. You're going to see a lot from this, like I said, like two-tiered, very thin left-to-right type greens at this course outside of Baltimore. Par 5, right to left. I don't know if you can get to these ones in two or not. It looks like you can get to all of them uh, if you want to be super aggressive off the tee and with your approach shot. Again, it all depends on how the rough is, whether you're going to lay up or not. Hole number 14 looks drivable as well. Um, if you can take a direct path over these trees, you can get to the green. Expect the Justin Thomases of the world to fall into this little layup area, because why go for the green when you're the best player in the world from 100 yards out? That only makes sense to me. So you're going to see half the field do that. Some of the bigger hitters or good around the green players, like almost everyone will be able to get there because it's a hard dogleg right that if you can cut that corner, even if you land in the bunker, if they're not so bad, uh, this hole forces players to choose an iron off the tee or take a direct line to the flag from 330 yards away. We know some of the bigger hitters can most definitely carry this off the green or off the tee to get there to the green 330. Keep it going. Hole number six, the 15th, is a par three. It's a longer one. 
Hole number 16, a hard dog leg right to left. The 17th plays a bit left to right, although you're probably not going to end up in like the, the carryover area behind these trees. You just put it in the fairway and then take on those bunkers, depending on where you're at. Hole number nine uh, looks pretty difficult, actually, even though it's a straightaway. It's a bit of a, one of the longer holes on the course. So then you make the turn. You have a just winding par four, although you can probably get rid of this area here and just play it straight over these bunkers, and it's a pretty short shot in. Hole number two is potentially drivable if you want to take on this water. If there are adequate landing areas and the hole isn't all that rough, uh, if the rough isn't all that long around the green, if you can miss to the right and that's not a problem, miss long, put it in the bunker, and you know that you can carry the water, expect a few guys to go for it. The move is going to be to lay up to have, it looks like a pretty simple approach shot into this green, only 362 yards to the middle of the green. So it all depends on where the wind is going uh, and how long you can hit it off the tee. In that regard, there is water in play on that hole if you choose to take it on. On number three, the par five, there's water all along the right. It doesn't seem like it comes into play all that much based on this design, though. Uh, hole number three is over water, although it doesn't seem to be the hardest, although it's 225 yards from the men's handicap. It's number 15 in terms of difficulty. Hole number four, pretty much straight away on a par four. We were, we're out of the water section of this, and there are bunkers at the landing areas on most of these drives. So again, bunker play, especially out of the fairway, uh, is going to be pretty key. But like I said, if the rough is up, sometimes you're better off being in the bunker as long as you're not buried. Uh, hole number 16 is a par five. Uh, it's the toughest par five on the course. It's around 600 yards. There's big bunkers everywhere. Uh, this is one where you're going to have to hit the fairway. Very thin. It looks like the fairways are pretty thin on some of these holes. So again, it all depends on how the rough ends up shaking out in that regard. Hole number 17 is a par three with water off to the right. I'm guessing that the Sunday pin is going to be behind the water up here on like a 220 yard hole. So just play it to the center of the green, make your par, move on your way. Do not put it in the water. And then hole number nine, the close hole one of the harder ones very few landing areas here uh in terms of a very thin fairway the green looks super small at the same time uh and there is a stream down the right hand side approach shots missed to the right will go into that stream so it's very much like not the byron nelson now but when they play at tpc san antonio that final par five where there is that creek going along the way that you can find yourself like wedged up in that. And the creek down the right-hand side is a lot like the creek down the left-hand side at Quail Hollow on the final hole in order to really figure that part out. So that's what the course looks like uh, overall. If we jump over to Fantasy National, we don't have the field loaded in because we don't know what the field is yet. But essentially, if we take a look at the projected FedEx Cup standings, you're going to see Damon and Mitchell need to continue to play well and stay where they are to go in. Palmer, Mickelson, and Wolf seem like they're fine, despite the fact that they missed the cut. It looks pretty good for Munoz, Streb, Hughes, and Gooch at the moment to stay in. Uh, it all really depends on if, like, Gim, Higgs, and Power, potentially Putman, Poulter, and Perez can, like, really vault themselves up the leaderboard on Monday, and they would probably need, like, a top-five finish in order to get themselves in, because I know Gim is already up there a lot anyway. Power can really make a move. Norin is another one who's up there, but I would... If Mitchell and Damon collapse and Norin doesn't have a great Monday, Fitzpatrick and Hatton probably are the two that end up getting in and taking those final two spots if these guys all falter. If they continue to play well, obviously they're going to make it. So you could run a model if you wanted to, but I'm just going to take a look at the Northern Trust leaderboard right now for the event through three rounds that we have. Uh, you know, Cam Smith, John Rahm tied for first. 
Uh, we just see the entire leaderboard. EVR, Mr. Chipping, Mr. Putting this week. Uh, his ball striking is 2.1. His short game uh, is, what, 6, 8, 9, over 9 for the week. So, yeah, that, that's probably not going to lead unless he continues. The, the day off is going to be kind of weird for him. Like I mentioned with Fina, he's just kind of solid across the board, just like Cam Smith has been. Rom has been striking the ball way better than everyone else. Him and Hudson Swafford, of all people, who's in 11th right now. JT, obviously the ball striking has been good. Putting well this week, too. Sungjae. Keep him back on the radar for next week. You know, the ball striking has been slowly coming back. Can't chip, can't putt, but we know that those are two things that you know, kind of come and go for him. You know, Connors can't chip. We knew that coming into the week, but the ball striking has been excellent. Paul Casey can't putt. Big shocker. Aaron Wise can't putt. Big shocker. He is gaining the most of all players off the tee this week, though. Him and the Gim Reaper, two guys I got in my best lineup. Hopefully they can actually hit their approaches and putt in the final round, get themselves inside like the top 15. We might have some, we might be building a stew at that point. Uh, we got M and Scheffler both bleeding a bunch of strokes, Piercy bleeding a bunch of strokes, and Bryson on and or, or just around and on the greens, not doing so well. Ball striking pristine, though. If we get to a really hard course next week, uh, Bryson could be in line to win the BMW Championship. He's sort of like my early eye for that because, as you see with Bryson, that you know the driving is always good. The irons that'd be the second consecutive week in the strong, second consecutive start in a strong field where he's playing really well with his irons. Uh, hopefully, he can fix the around the green game. But if he can just turn the putting back to where he's normally at, you know that makes him a leading contender. And maybe because of the up and down nature that he's had at Liberty National, that maybe we can catch like a thirty on him again. And then I would be in on that number uh, when the pricing comes out. So I'm back to get in on Bryson, my guy, Bryson. Love Bryson, and uh, I like his up and downs. I find it just makes it more entertaining for me. You'll see that Berger also cannot putt this week. Where's old Berg's at? Yeah, the approach play continues to be fire. Almost five strokes gained through three rounds. Can't drive. I mean, he's pushing driving, pushing chipping, and lost three strokes putting. The irons continue to be hot for Daniel Berger, though. As you can see, if you can just put it all on the same page, I'll probably be back on him again next week because, obviously, approach play is the most important stat that you can have in golf. Henley lost almost seven strokes putting and gained almost five on approach. Good for you, Russell Henley. Hopefully you can... Is he projected to be in? He has to be, right? Yeah, no, no. Henley's on the... No, where the fuck is Henley at? Henley, oh, yeah, he's going to make it through to the BMW Championship. More, he's a very accurate driver of the ball. If that does become something that really needs to be hammered down on the BMW, I wouldn't mind going back to Russell Henley. He owes us money, so maybe he can come through for us. I don't know. The, and the putting usually isn't that bad for him. Like, good God. Like, he's top 10 in the field in approach. Minus 6.8 strokes putting. Not great, Russ. Figure it the fuck out, pal. Anyway, those are some of my early leans. Uh, when I build the model this week, like I said, sand saves is where I want to go with. It seems like they're all over this course. Very little water to go through. And then we have par fours, 350 to 400. And then there are six from 450 to 500 yards. Par threes, 200 plus. Approach, 200 plus. Will probably be the key stats that I'm looking for for the week when I end up building the model for myself. Or when you want to go to Fantasy National and do the inputs yourself for the BMW Championship once we have the field to be loaded in. This summer, Bespoke Post is here to take your adventure to the next level with a new line of must-have box of awesome collections. Bespoke Post partners with small businesses and emerging brands to bring you the most unique goods every single month. I got my box of awesome, and frankly, the bag is the huge selling point, but there was just a collection of awesome things inside of it. There was a knife inside of mine. I got an outdoorsy one. 
but this bag is going to probably be in my life for the next 20 years now because it's the perfect size. It's not too big, it's not too small, but it has good girth to it or good ganth, and it just holds an awful lot of stuff. So when I have to travel, I'm going overnight, that's what I got in my box of awesome. And the great thing was that it was filled with stuff when it came to. So no matter what you're into, Box of Awesome has you covered. From travel to outdoor gear to breezy summer styles and grooming goods, Box of Awesome has collections for every part of your life. To get started, take the quiz at boxofawesome.com. Your answers will help them pick the right Box of Awesome for you. They release new boxes every month across a ton of different categories. It's free to sign up, and you can skip a month or cancel anytime. Each box only costs 45 bucks, but has over $70 worth of gear inside. And you can get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the promo code PME at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com code PME for 20% off your first box. 2021 Fantasy Football Draft Recap results and places where Pat went wrong with his picks because it's evident pretty early what I did wrong and then I had to adjust in real time. Well, not real time because this was a slow draft, but uh, I just wanted to let everyone know that if you want the best stats, the best tools in the business to do all your research for free, you can use the Advanced Stats Hub at runthesims.com, a full breakdown starting on August the 23rd up on Mayo Media Network. We'll have a walkthrough for all the free and premium tools at runthesims.com, but you'll have a full free seven-day trial once you buy the season package. If you want to cancel, then hey, cancel. No hard feelings about that, but runthesims.com slash Mayo will get you a discount on the premium tools such as the DFS optimizer, the showdown optimizer, all of the betting tools, the comparison tools, and the thing that the entire site is powered on, the custom game simulator, where you can go into each game, simulate them up to 10,000 times, and get the results. And you can see the downside, the median, and the upside, and the range of outcomes for a lot of these players when comparing them together. The season-long tool is completely free. You just put in your email, no credit card, any shit like that, and you're good to go at runthesims.com. So please check it out. Remember to smash the like button to this episode. Subscribe to Mayo Media Network, obviously, and the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast, wherever you download podcasts, rating and review, if you're feeling generous, out there as well. But in the comment section, I want to know, what's your ideal start in a football draft this year? Picks one and two, the first two-round ideal start. That means, where do you want to draft from, and where are the two players that you would like to take? Because I had that going into this draft, and you'll see how it blew up in my fucking face. I was actually live with Joe Pizapia last week when I was doing the updated content for the rankings. All of my rankings are updated to this moment, by the way, hit the description, and you can find all of the hyperlinks down there to get quick access to the updated rankings and all of the tiered ranking shows. And if you just stay on Mayo Media Network, we have brand new content every single day. I hope you're enjoying all of the content, by the way. I'm all energized for fantasy football season. That'll last to like middle of October, and I'll be like, man, there's three months to go. But right now, I am feeling fired up for some football. I hope you are as well. And I was fired up to do this draft, but there's a bit of one, bit of weird stuff with this draft. So I, I actually just want to jump in into it right away. We'll get to round one and check out the results here. It is a 12-team industry league draft, the Fantasy League of Experts, and somehow I got included this with, with this because I won it one time. Uh, this is the series of tournaments that Jake Seeley always puts up. I always tell him, like, I have no time to draft this. He's like, you want to be in best ball this year? I was like, yeah, why not? I still draft it like a season-long team because it was a slow email draft, and here's the little thing. 
about industry league drafts. This is why I don't really part. This is the only one I participate in unless there's like a charity one to go do it. One, most people who provide a ton of content don't have a lot of time to manage extra fantasy league. So when you see some of the names in this draft, be assured that this is being siphoned out to intern. I have got a friend to help me run this team and help me do the draft because I couldn't stay on top of it. I made like five of these picks when I was on the golf course one day. It was a slow email draft. So not everyone is putting their full foot forward into this. That's why best ball works out for a lot of us who are in this draft. Cause you just have to do the draft and then that's it for the year. You see who wins in the end uh, for one thing. And the other thing, cause I used to do this when I first started in fantasy. I know a lot of people are doing this right now because I thought when I first broke in, it's like, Oh my God, if I could win one of these industry leagues, everyone's going to think I'm the best. And then I, so I played in as many as possible and I won a few and it turns out no one gave a shit. Uh, and when I say that is that no one in the public gave a shit and then no one in the leagues also gave a shit. The move actually is if you're trying to break into the fantasy football industry and you can get a lot of invites to these quote unquote expert leagues or industry league drafts is to join as many as possible. See how it's going through four weeks after four weeks, like check out of the ones you're not four and oh in or three and one in and then just like start to never update your lineup or anything like that. Cause that's what everyone else does. And it all, almost kind of works in a weird way where, you know, Pat will compete with one other person for this league. And then I'm out of another league. So two other people can compete for their championship. And then at the end of the year, everyone can have their championships and boast and brag. It's really not that big of a deal. So I don't take it too seriously. And I know that most of the people in this draft don't take it super seriously as well. It's fun to draft these guys and talk shit back and forth throughout the year. It's a great way to stay in touch. That's why we thought that best ball was the best way to go for these 12 people in particular. Uh, just so we can shit talk each other and you know, see who wins at the end. And it's only based on the draft. Uh, but that's sort of the dirty little secret about industry leagues. If you didn't know or you take them super seriously if you're just breaking in, don't. Uh, they're fun to play and it's a great way to make contacts and do everything like that. But, you know, it's not the most important thing in the world. I would prefer to focus on like instead of doing my waivers for this league, I have like my high stakes home league that I would just much rather focus on because I win lots of money if I win it. I would rather like, focus on my bets or my DraftKings lineups because I have real money on that one. These ones, it's like 15 bucks to play. Don't worry about it, all right? So it's just kind of fun. But I did use it as practice to see where, how I did everything right or wrong. That's what I kind of want to assess at the moment. So round one goes like this. Uh, Ray Flowers took Christian McCaffrey first overall. Adam Azer took Dalvin Cook second. This full point PPR 12-team league, by the way. Steve Gallo took Elvin Kamara. Pat Thorman took Zeke Elliott. Matthew Barry took Derrick Henry. Those guys are one through five on my rankings list. So didn't get any of those guys. I picked six and I took Travis Kelsey, mainly because I wanted to see what a draft is with Travis Kelsey. But like I said to you guys in the comment section, what is the optimal way you can draft? And pick six is like the worst pick for me because I don't mind taking Kelsey in the first round. The issue with pick six is that you don't pick again until pick number 19. And there was one guy in particular I really wanted in the second round. And I knew that in order to get Kelsey, I could have picked nine and probably get Kelsey. So if I had given myself three picks later on the back end the other way, I would have got the guy I wanted. So what happened with me in round one, I take Kelsey. I'm good with that. I could have taken Adams. I could have taken Ridley or Diggs or I don't have the other running backs elevated. In fact, the running back that I have next, if you go and look at my rankings, 
is actually Najee, Najee Harris, who I was hoping I would get in the second round. That would be my ideal start, going Kelsey and Harris. I just didn't want to miss out on having a solid running back, which is, spoiler alert, is what happened. Uh, so then I had to instantly ship into zero RB mode. Now, the one saving grace about this league in flex is you have to play two running backs, two wide receivers, then you have four flex spots. So each position, and you have to start a tight end. So tight end actually means a ton here. And running back or wide receiver can be mitigated in its impact just knowing your scoring system based on the construct of the league like I feel much better overloading my team listen I'm going to need to have two good running backs that's what's going to happen and I don't so I need to piece that together and hopefully I can hit on one or two guys and get like average output from those guys I'm not winning the running back category but I can win the receivers category now I can win tight end I could potentially with mix and matching my upside at quarterback be competitive there too but the rest of the flex spots I just kept going on wide receivers at that point because I could technically play six of them during the course of the week if I really wanted to and only two running backs and where it's best ball it will scrape your best ones and if we're talking about like down the down the bench players in best ball receivers just have higher upside especially crappy receivers on a week-to-week basis and where there is no start and there is no sit and I don't have to make those roster decisions then I can really overload so I do think that zero RB isn't like preferable to me I would rather have a stud running back in the first or second round obviously but that's just just not the way it worked out and the one thing that I didn't want to do was be like oh my god I'm in round three I have no run no running back I have to take one of these guys that I just don't like and don't want to take that early like David Montgomery like fuck it I'll take Terry McLaurin instead like I just think that he's a better player I think that he will score more fantasy points I think that his upside week to week is going to be higher where and maybe I'm just wrong about David Montgomery and like that type of quarterback whether it be running back whether it be Dobbins whether it be DeAndre Swift even Antonio Gibson who I'm a bit more down on than everyone else is and he went in the first pick of the second round in this one so he didn't even get a chance to make it to me but that's just not a tier of running back I love I'd rather go down to the Damian Harris's of the world the Miles Gaskin who I'm not super in love with the Raheem Mostert like your low 20s type running back who can be very solid and where I don't have to start or sit them because of best ball I feel like I can piece together two running backs per week that way and then just overwhelm the rest of the league with wide receiver based on what happened the first two rounds in my draft I had to readjust that so let's jump back over to the first round and finish it up. Nando, my guy, my former boss, one of my best buds, took Tyreek Hill at number seven, first receiver off the board. Aaron Jones went number eight to Scott Fish. Bob Harris takes Devontae Adams at number nine. Pat Fitzmaurice takes Saquon at number 10. Jody Smith, Jonathan Taylor at number 11. Then Mike Hollywood Clay goes back to back with Nick Chubb and Antonio Gibson at picks 12 and 13. That's about the order in which a lot of these guys are going in standard redraft leagues as well. So that's round one. There's nothing really outrageous here, like Hill going over Adams. I would take Adams over Hill. Uh, I would go Harris over Jones and Barkley and Taylor and Chubb and Gibson and Eckler objectively. However, knowing where these guys are actually going in drafts, you could, if you were at the back end and let's say you had pick number 10, like Pat did, and he takes Barkley, like you could easily follow that up with Najee Harris, who just was my target in the second round. And in fact, I had two tar- three targets, two priority targets and a secondary target. It was funny, in real time, when I was talking through with Joe on the show, they went the three picks before my pick and really left me in the shithole for who I wanted in round two. So round two, I took DeAndre Hopkins who I didn't really want. I like DeAndre Hopkins enough. Like, he's sort of on this tier, and all the guys who went after receiver-wise, 
uh, after me. So I had pick number 19, pick 207, um, and it went Hopkins, Metcalf, A.J. Brown, Keenan Allen, Justin Jefferson, Darren Waller to end the second round. Like, I have all of those guys on a tier together with themselves, along with Allen Robinson and Terry McLaurin are the other two guys that I personally have in that tier of receiver. But the problem was I wanted Harris with this pick. So Harris is my number one, and Calvin Ridley was my number two, because I have both those guys ranked way higher than apparently everyone else does. I have them as like fringy. I have Harris inside my top 10 overall. If you hit the rankings in my top 150, I have Ridley at number 13, I believe. I really like Ridley this year. I've in fact even thought about bumping him up over Diggs just because this knee injury is kind of worrying me a little bit. And when you're at the very elite end, that doesn't mean that I think that Diggs is going to be bad by any means. But just when you're dealing with the very top end of players, it's all about those little personal preferences. If anything scares you at all, like that's when you're coming up with cons for Calvin Ridley and Stefan Diggs, there's not very many. So any little thing has to go into that. If that's, you know, a coin flip for you and what actually decides that. So I'm, I still have Diggs ranked above him. I'm starting to lean Ridley, but those are the four that I have in my top end tier. I have Adams, I have Hill, I have Diggs, and I have Ridley. Those four I think are much better, not much better, but have a better chance of finishing as the number one overall receiver. Other people argue, hey, DeAndre Hopkins should be in that tier. Pat, what are you talking about? You got a good pick here. And you might be right. It's just, I wish he washing on the Cardinals offense a little bit week to week. And maybe that's just stupid on my part. I have Hopkins ranked at number five in full disclosure. Uh, That's why I took him where I did, but I don't have as much confidence in him being elite every single week like I do with those other guys. And it's mainly based on volume, where I know the volume was there for him. They just have a lot of options. And if they continue to run at the pace that they do, it's probably not going to be an issue. But if they do slow it down a little bit, or they use Rondell Moore a little bit, or Kyler Murray gets back to running the way that he was supposed to, and they increase their offense and AJ Green turns out not to be like an absolute corpse and he takes away some targets that I can envision a scenario where there are some weeks where they're just like hey DeAndre Hopkins is double covered these guys are open let's throw to them that's sort of the fear with it all because he's so good that it becomes somewhat problematic in that regard so the entire second round looking at it I had mentioned Mike Clay pick number first pick took Antonio Gibson so it was Gibson Eckler Diggs Najee Harris Joe Mixon Calvin Ridley me with DeAndre Hopkins Metcalf Brown Allen Jefferson and Waller uh if you are listening to the audio version of this show you can tune into the video version up on Mayo Media Network and I have the draft results up on the screen I also have the draft results in the description of both if you want to follow along. Probably should have said that off the top. Now, there is a chance I did say that off the top, and I just don't remember at this point. However, I'm telling you right now, it's down there if you want to go follow along to see how these dummy experts draft uh, and how you're probably better than drafting than they are at this point. Uh, Fun fact, again, about uh, analysts in the fantasy football industry, you don't actually have to be good at fantasy football. You just have to be good at talking about fantasy football. That's the hard part about it. The analysis is way different than the practicality of it all. Even look at the, like, when I was at FTN, uh, Two Gun, uh, a very high stakes player, you know, not the greatest content provider in the world, but the guy wins fucking money on DraftKings. He has great picks, uh, but he's not like a personality in the fantasy football content space because, you know, he's a very serious player. He spends his time doing his research and making sure that he's playing like $10,000 worth of entries or more every single week where Pat's out here. You know, I'm playing like 500 to $1,000 per week on DraftKings uh, and in the betting market, but I'm focused more on my content, trying to articulate different strategies and talking through drafts where I'm wrong about things and how things didn't turn out in my favor uh, as a part of content. So don't ever get that twisted just because someone's a very popular personality 
personality uh, on YouTube or they're on, or it's like Barry on ESPN. Like Matthew Barry is one of the best content providers out there. He's a fantastic writer. He's highly entertaining. I know that he's been around so long. Like people are like super negatron towards Barry, but I like him a lot. I like his content a lot. And you have to understand that the audience that he's servicing as well. He's on ESPN. That is about the most casual place. That's for new people to come in and then they can come out and they can find me and then people even deeper than me down the list. So it's really weird when you say like analysts, are they really good? Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm pretty good at fantasy football. I'm better than 99% of people, but there are certain people that are elevated in this space and they don't even do content because they spend all of their time trying to hammer down on winning all the money in fantasy football. I kind of take the reverse. I like doing the content. That's where I enjoy to do. I love talking about it, love trying to break it down. And sometimes I'm not the best, as you can see by this draft. <laughs> so back to the second round. This is where I have to pivot my strategy. Don't go chasing running backs just because you don't have any continue to take best player possible so the third round goes like this alan robinson clyde edwards elair david montgomery george kittle me timbers chris carson terry mclaurin miles sanders cd lamb jk dobbins deandre swift mike evans and bob trees aka robert woods aka aka robert woods bobby trees i actually kind of like that bobby trees i find it funny either way I take Terry McLaurin here. Uh, I have him ranked as a part of that, like I said, the receiver tier above where everyone else was drafted. Uh, it came down between Chris Carson and McLaurin for me with my pick because Chris Carson is the running back I like the most out of these guys. And my rankings reflect that versus Dobbins versus Swift versus David Montgomery, who I've already previously talked about, and Clyde Edwards-Alaire that I just thought, you know, let's shoot for upside. Let's dominate the receiver position. If I'm not going to be able to dominate the running back position, the worst thing I can do for my roster right now is take these. And it's not to say that like the Miles Sanders types of the world and everyone like that can't be like an elite running back. The issue then becomes like, if I miss with this pick, now I have like, it's not good for my running back situation either way. And I just don't feel any confidence here. I actually took a running back in the next round as my number one, because I thought he had a solid floor. The The weird thing about these guys is I think that McLaurin is just the best of all of these players, especially in terms of upside. You can see Scott Fish took CeeDee Lamb, and that was sort of an internal debate. Now, I like McLaurin a lot more than CeeDee Lamb, but I think it's the same concept. You're looking for a guy who can be the number one on his team, have a 30% market share, go to the team in touchdowns. If I go over to uh, runthesims.com right now, again, runthesims.com slash mayo for uh, a discount. But this tool is free. Uh, if you just put in your email, you can sign up for it. It's the projection tool. So if you bump up, let's see, Terry McLaurin, 23% market share. That actually seems low to me. So let's say I change him to a 29% market share. Maybe actually I'll, I'll change it to 31%, which is probably the high end and like ceiling that he is going to get. If I just change him from a 23% market share to a 31% market share, all of a sudden he's wide receiver two for the season. So if I save my results and then I go into projections by position, go to wide receiver, you can see it goes Devontae Adams, Terry McLaurin. All of a sudden you can see I've messed around with Jamar Chase because I love Jamar Chase. I can, and these are all a part of what can actually happen to them on these teams. Like, but I'm dealing with the ceiling example of them and not the floor example, but that's how I draft my fantasy football teams, especially now that I have to pivot into zero RB, that I need to take as many receivers that could potentially dominate this year as possible. And I have to think about ceiling because I'm not, listen, I, I'm not playing for seventh. I'm playing for first. So I need to think about this in terms of ceiling, especially in best ball. 
So that's why my draft might seem a little bit unconventional. And I am actually a huge proponent of zigging where everyone else zags. Like no one really seemed to want to do zero RB in this draft. So I think that's when it becomes an advantage. If you're in a draft room with 11 other people who have a zero RB strategy, probably not the best move. To be perfectly honest with you, it's probably best to go running back heavy. There is no one way to win fantasy football. Anyone tells you that is a fucking liar and is trying to sell you something that doesn't work. I'm not trying to sell you anything besides runthesims.com, which is a tool site, which doesn't give you any advice. It allows you to input what you think is going to happen into games. That's what I like to come on here and pitch to my audience is, hey, these are tools that can help you with your process. Do you have a lean on a game or do you want to see something? And there's baseline projections put in there and they're super easy like you just saw in order to manipulate to any way that you want to tell yourself the story of what you want that i'm very pro uh trying to you know tell people like this is the only way that you can draft is fucking stupid and it's wrong so trust me on that i've won leagues and lost leagues with a lot of different strategies and sometimes you just pick the best players how about that you do that you're probably going to be fine and try to hit some guys in like the 10th 12th round who are good yeah you're going to be dancing all the way to the finals don't worry about that so that's what happened to me in the third round fourth round I took Mike Davis, and I'm higher on Mike Davis than I think a lot of people are. I like his floor. Atlanta still has not brought in anyone else to take his job. And until that happens, I kind of got to stick with my initial lean. Like, hey, this is a guy who's going to get, like, I have him right now penciled in at 40% of the market share because I wanted to see what would happen if he only got 40% and Quadre Olson got 21% and Shadavian Hawkins ended up with 10%. But I don't think that's what's going to happen. I don't think these guys are going to be very involved whatsoever. So we'll keep, even Cordell Patterson at 19% seems a bit much. So let's keep Hawkins at 10. Let's bump down. So if we say that Cordero Patterson gets 15% of the rushes, on Atlanta. Quadre Olison gets 5%. Jadavian Hawkins gets 10%. So a combined 30% between all of those players. Seems pretty high, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, but hey, that's what we're going with for the moment. Matt Ryan, a 6% share of those rushes. So that leaves 60% left over for Mike Davis. And let's artificially bump him down to 3.9 yards per carry. He should be over that. And 55% of the rushing touchdowns. I would guess that it's probably going to be higher than that for Mike Davis, if he actually is the starter all year and seeing 60%, you'd think that he'd be playing in the red zone. So we can even bump him up a little bit more. Let's bump him up to 60. And we'll bump... Patterson's not getting 16% of the touchdowns. Justin, I don't know what you're up to with this. We'll call it 10% of the touchdowns. And we'll keep Olsen at 19.5%. So again, I don't think this is even in the ceiling. I think this is just something which you could expect when we think through it logically what happens with Mike Davis. So we run all of this through. I think he actually gets more of a market share than this in the receiving game. So we'll bump him to, let's say, 11%. And I think that keeping him at 3.9 yards per carry is honestly low i think that he averages more than that but let's just call it that downside for him 3.9 yards per carry 6.3 yards per reception on 11 percent of the target share and 84 percent catch rate and around eight percent of the receiving touchdowns if that happens i still think that is not near his upside if that's the median outcome that's probably higher than the median outcome this is probably like a 65 70th percentile outcome for him but i think that's well within the range we can make him be way better than this in the projections but even spitting all of this out that puts him in full point pp at 60 264 ppr points running back number 16 for the season so i think as a fourth round pick as that not being his ceiling i think is pretty good so that would actually put him in the range just behind daryl henderson one spot ahead of antonio gibson based on how we have this constructed ahead of players like david montgomery clyde edwards alert miles sanders and jk dobbins so if we go back over 
to the draft. We're going to see, I get him at pick number 43. All those other running backs that we just talked about, pick number 34, pick number 33, uh, pick number 29, pick number 27, pick number 26. So I was able to take Terry McLaurin and Mike Davis, who obviously people aren't as high on as I am at pick number 43, uh, because he's going about 10 picks after that. But I felt like I needed a receiver, and I knew who I wanted in the fifth round to go through this to fulfill the rest of the strategy that I wanted to work out. But I feel like the opportunity cost, he gave me a 2v2, and I can get McLaurin and Mike Davis, and you can get Bob Harris, J.K. Dobbins. Oh, I kind of like Dobbins a little bit, but J.K. Dobbins and who did he take here? And Javante Williams. I think I'd take my guys. I feel like I have more upside in that regard just because I have McLaurin. I think he is the best player of that bunch. Am I wrong? Probably. But, you know, you're going to be wrong about things. So the entire fourth round from top to bottom goes. Mike Clay takes a Murray Cooper. Daryl Henderson goes. Chris Godwin, Javante Williams, Kyle Pitts at number 41. Lamar Jackson comes off the board to Nando. Nando! At 42, I take Mike Davis, Thielen, Lockett, Josh Jacobs, Patrick Mahomes, Deontay Johnson is the entire fourth round. You'll see that Nando took Lamar Jackson first overall at quarterback. Patrick Mahomes actually goes second in this format. I like the moxie. Nando's always out on a limb doing stuff like this. So that's where he ended up going. Into the fifth round, the entire fifth round goes Kyler, DJ Moore, Julio, Cooper Cup, Josh Allen, Jamar Chase, Odell, TJ Hawkinson, Mark Andrews. Dak Prescott, Kareem Hunt, and then Brendan Ayukin is the entire fifth round. Those are picks. Where are we at here? 49 through 50 to through 60 in the draft. So obviously, if you've been following my content at all, you know that I love Jamar Chase. I'm actively trying to get Jamar Chase. Joe Burrow is still going late. And in best ball, I am just stacking these guys up together. You'll see with my quarterback and receiver selections, I went cheap quarterback with receiver to try to capitalize on the big weeks they put together. I can envision Jamar Chase being a top 10 receiver this year. The issue is, if I'm wrong about Jamar Chase, then T. Higgins is a great pick. Tyler Boyd is a great pick. I think all three of them could have the potential, like the Steelers receivers, to finish inside the top 30, all three of them. I think that, you know, Ben is being a bit underdrafted. Joe Burrow is being criminally underdrafted where he's going at the moment. But I'm taking the chance that they went out and got Chase for a reason, and he is going to elevate himself right away in this offense, especially with his previous connection with Joe Burrow at LSU, that if he can just haul in a bunch of touchdowns, which he is kind of there to do, and lead this team in target share. It doesn't need to be a crazy target share. I'll take you to the projections right now that I have for Cincinnati. And you can see I had him at uh, wide receiver number five overall when I spit out the projections. What does that actually look like on paper? That gives him 25% of the market share in this offense, as opposed to 17 and 17 for Boyd, 28% of the touchdowns. Like, that's not crazy. I, at least I don't think that's crazy for Jamar Chase. It's not like I have Jamar Chase at 40% market share and the other two down at 10%. I'm just, I have the belief that Jamar Chase is the better, best player of these guys, not taking anything away from Boyd and Higgins, who as you can see, my projections still have them as 28 and 35 overall in PPR leagues, or sorry, in half point PPR leagues. Uh, it's just, I boosted up the touchdowns. I boosted up the market share incrementally and it made him wide receiver six for the season. So like I said, I don't think that's nuts. And I think that pick number 54 is a good time to gamble on that. And like I said, the strategy that I have to take and the reason that I took Mike Davis is I need solid running backs, floor running backs to fulfill that requirement in my lineups. At receiver, that's where I'm filling out all my flex spots with, with this two, four type system. So I'm shooting for upside as much as possible in this draft. So quarterbacks started going off the board here. The third tier of tight ends in my mind 
uh, went here. Mark Andrews is still my preference, even though he collapsed at practice. That happened before Bob Harris made this pick, you can see on Tuesday. But it, apparently he's going to be okay. So I wouldn't worry too much about him. He is my favorite of these targets. And you can probably get him a little later than this now based on the recent news. So round six, uh, I take Raheem Mostert. Probably too early for him, but this is the spot where I was like, all right, let's hammer down on some running backs. I have some later wide receivers that I want to take. So let's try to see if we can get some floor running backs in here as well to, again, fulfill those spots. And maybe we get lucky and these guys end up being the starter. So round six goes T. Higgins, Juju, Jerry Judy, Kenny Galladay, Claypool, James Robinson. I don't like James Robinson. I do like Raheem Mostert. So I took him at pick number 67. Tower Boy, Travis Etchang, Robbie Anderson, Chase Edmonds, Trey Sermon, Michael Carter. Uh, Now we're into the seventh round. So that's the sixth round. Probably too high for Mostert, to tell you the truth, but I am higher on him. And, you know, one of my big things in fantasy leagues is take the guys that you want. Don't take anyone because they're a perceived value or don't wait around to be like, oh, like, like what happened with me and Harris in this draft? I probably wasn't going to take him at sixth overall. And that was just more of a circumstance of where I ended up selecting in the first round. But I'm good with reaching. Reach for guys that you want. Like, this is your fantasy team. If you, you have a hunch on a guy, a gut feeling on a guy, Make sure that you get that guy, even if it takes more than a round. And I have enough receivers to get myself by. Like, if I was to go back and do this again, I'd probably still take him here. Like, Debo is someone I really like, and he didn't go till just before my pick in the next round. I already had Chase. Maybe I could have paired up Higgins with him and just played the Cincinnati onslaught, as I have them projected for the most uh, passing attempts of any team in the league. Like, that would have been a viable strategy for me as well. We didn't make it to me, so there's nothing I can really do about that at that point. So of the guys that went after me, did I really want any of them? No, like, Debo would probably be the closest one, to be perfectly honest with you. In terms of my rankings and how I am approaching this season, Etchin would have been the closest, but I'm more wishy-washy on him, and as the strategy turned out in this draft, I need floor. And if Mostert's healthy, he's getting, like, 14 to 20 touches per game. That's going to be kind of it. He's never going to be a running back one, regardless of who gets hurt on San Francisco. But if he is healthy, no matter how good Trey Sermon is, you're going to see Mostert touch the ball in a good running offense. And I did this before Trent Williams got hurt on their offensive line, but I think that he'll be back by week one. At least that's the indication that he is just going to be a floor running back to fulfill that spot. Now we get into round seven. And I take Damian Harris at pick number 78. I like Harris a lot. Obviously, I did this Wednesday before I broke down, before the Patriots played in the Thursday night game. I have a video on that and on the podcast feed from Friday if you want to check out how I broke down that game. I still like Harris the best out of all those guys. And I don't think it matters whether it's Cam. Like The way I kind of broke it down, just to kind of, you don't need to go back and tune in. The gist behind it is if Cam is the quarterback, they're going to run a ton, probably more than any other team in the league. So his market share doesn't need to be as high because Cam's going to be around like, 25 to 35% per game on the ground. But they're going to run like 25 to 35% more per game than if Mac Jones was the quarterback. So a 50% market share or 49% market share of the rushes for Damian Harris with Cam is actually equivalent to 65% of the rushes if Mac Jones is the quarterback, which I would expect him to get as long as he has the goal line back. And we'll see him involved a little bit in the receiving game, like two, three targets per game. Nothing much, just be on the field. Then I think he's going to be completely fantasy viable. This is a gamble that he is the best running back on the Patriots. He is going to be the goal line back. And I'm committed to that. I had him last year and he was good until he got hurt. He seems to be healthy this year. So pick number 78. 
not terrible for me. That entire round goes Edmonds. No, sorry. Michael Carter, Michael Thomas, Antonio Brown, Debo, who I do like. Logan Thomas, Damian Harris, Corey Davis. I actually had my target for the next round. He went to pick after me. I like Corey Davis a lot. Cortland Sutton. I like Cortland Sutton a lot. I would have taken him or Davis in the next round if they were available. Obviously, they were not for me. Then we have Aaron Rodgers, Miles Gaskin, DJ Chark, Noah Fant. Didn't have a ton of interest in all those guys at that spot. Gaskin, maybe, but I had already kind of fulfilled what I wanted to do at running back. This decision actually came down at running back to Gaskin versus my Gaskin versus Harris for me and the guy that I did my draft with. We were arguing about it back and forth. So that's just kind of the way the cookie crumbles from that. So round 10, or sorry, round eight, sorry. The picks go Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert, Gallup, Brendan Cooks, who I love. Didn't get him. He was going to be my pick, but he went. Chenault, Henry Ruggs. I took Marvin Jones at number 91. James Conner, Mike Williams, Devontae Smith, who I love in this spot. That's a great pick for Steve Gallo at number 94. I thought people were going to sleep with him. Obviously, that didn't happen. You know, you don't get everyone you want in every draft, but I love Marv, so I really I like Marv more than I like Smith, so I had to go out of my way to get him, but I like him almost as much, so that is a nice target, and the Hurts-Smith combo is just super cheap at this point because no one's taking Hurts anymore. Uh, it was the rest of the picks here. Will Fuller and Mecole Hardman was the end of the eighth round. So I end up with Marv Jones. I've talked enough about Marvin Jones throughout the course of the year. I really wish that Brendan Cooks had made it to me, though. Uh, he won at pick number 88. It's a nice pick. Bob Harris's draft. I think Bob Harris had the best draft of anyone by far, uh, at least through 10 rounds that uh, I wish I had his team. I don't have his team. Maybe his team will suck, and you know, because I love it so much. If he did what I think that you should do, it's probably a bad sign for what uh, his future prospects are. So maybe my team can elevate itself, and Bob's can be down a little bit, but I really like the look of his team on paper. Uh, round number nine, and we're going to start powering through these, because now it starts getting a bit tricky, and these can be just so fluctuating draft to draft. Uh, round nine is Kenyon Drake, Dallas Goddard, Robert Tunyon, A.J. Dillon. I A.J. Dillon, I had queued up as my pick here. Uh, uh, Jalen Waddle goes to Matthew Berry. Obviously, I don't get Dillon. So I then jump in on Joe Burrow at pick number 102. I need to pair him up with Jamar Chase, uh, and I feel good about that scenario for me because I want to maximize my upside if he's really good then you know what Joe Burrow is probably going to be pretty good and like I mentioned I do have him projected to lead the league in passing attempts so that's only good news after Burrow Naheem Hines Elijah Moore Darnell Mooney Jarvis Landry nice value on Jarvis Landry by by Pat Fitzmaurice here Curtis Samuel then Zach Moss to Mike Clay it's funny Clay and I clash about this all the time he just he takes all the guys I really hate and I think I take all the guys that he really hates I think we have the most polar opposite draft strategies possible we even clash about Terry McLaurin's nickname. He says F1, which makes no fucking sense in the world, because it's McLaren is the team name in F1, and his name isn't McLaren, it's McLaurin, so it's fucking stupid. Scoring McLaurin! Like, come on! It's right there for you. And you know what? He scores. Both in the football sense, and the way that people used it in the 70s. I checked out his Instagram. He'd be scoring during the offseason. He'd be scoring on the field, too. Scoring McLaurin is where you want to be. Round number 10, as we keep powering through these right now, uh, I take the Gus Bus, one of my favorite like 10th to 15th round targets, depending on the size of your league. Overall, Pittman, Higby, Melvin Gordon, Ronald Jones, Terrace Marshall, looking better by the day. Jonu Smith and his uh, ankle sprain, low ankle sprain, though, to Nando. I take the Gus Bus. I just think he's going to be very, he's a perfect type of running back for your head-to-head leagues, for bye weeks, because he's going to have sustained value each and every week. Both the guys I took in the next two rounds are 
running backs based on my strategy that I can play week to week in best ball. So I don't have to like, quote unquote, have to play them, but they can most definitely have good weeks despite not being the starter on their teams because they're going to get enough run. But should anything happen to the starter, they're legit top 10 options at running back. So I can luck into an injury situation where both these guys could be my starting running back should anything happen to Alvin Kamara and or J.K. Dobbins because I took Latavius Murray in the next round. I think I take Latavius Murray in every draft every year. And just for three weeks, every single year, he's awesome. And that's really all the pick is for. Like, how good do you really think your 11th round pick is going to be? It's not going to be very good unless you get like the one diamond in the rough and chances are you're not going to find that guy. So after Gus in the 10th, Hollywood Brown, Rondell Moore, Jalen Hurts finally goes. That's great value on Jalen Hurts. Um, Alexander Madison at 119, Brashad Perriman at 120 to Ray Flowers. We'll scroll into round number 11. Uh, Tony Pollard is another one of my like favorite targets from down here. He went to Ray Flowers at 121. T.Y. Hilton, Stafford, Trey Lance, Jamal Williams, Latavius Murray to me, Adam Troutman, Justin Fields, Russell Gage, Irv Smith Jr., Leonard Fournette, and Sticky Gesicki. It's a nice value on him, especially after his weekend with Tua. Weekends with Tua. Gonna be a new book that uh, Mitch Alvom writes, but for now it's looking pretty good for Gasicki. Although only Waddle played in that game, there was no Parker, there was no Fuller. Obviously, no Fuller for Week One. And Waddle got banged up, so I don't know how much of a market share Gasicki's actually going to command on a week-to-week basis. I guess if none of those guys played, he'd be like the wide receiver one. But I know those guys are super injury-prone all the time. But expect at least two of them to be playing a lot of the time. Tua looked on point though. So did Zach Wilson, shockingly enough. And we saw in garbage time against the Bills how Justin Fields can accrue fan points once he gets into the game. I still think he's the Bears starter by week two. They're going to feed Dalton to the Lions and the Rams in week one, watch him get beat up, bring in Fields in the fourth quarter, then it's Fields team. So I have no problem drafting Fields highly still. I think maximum week four is the chance that we see them. I think that we see him by the end of week one, starting in week two. That would be my prognosis of the situation. Round number 12 this is the last one that I'll go through uh, in full. So we have Philip Lindsay. I really love that pick. That was queued up to be our pick in that spot, but obviously that did not happen. He's moving up and up and up the depth charts. That's something I went over on Friday. If you want to tune into that show is why I like Philip Lindsay. Devontae Parker, Evan Ingram, Jared Cook, Ryan Tannehill, David Johnson, Trevor Lawrence to me to pair up with Marv Jones in a stack. Tom Brady. Brady fell really low in this draft, which I was surprised about. Devin Singletary, Deshaun Watson goes at 142 to Steve Gallo. Marquez Calloway, who was my pick for like three rounds from now, ended up going to Adam Azer at pick number 143. I like Calloway a lot. He was a target for me. Um, and Matt Ryan goes next. So the guys that I missed out on here, as you can see, that I wanted for my next pick, I ended up going Gabe Davis as my pick, but I really wanted Jacoby Myers and I really wanted Marquez Calloway. They were off the board. I also wanted Giovanni Bernard in that spot. So the three guys I had targeted for my pick at 150 ended up going out uh, before they got to me. So that was a bummer, but I, I don't mind Gabe Davis. I, I think it's a good situation to be in, especially if he's playing. He has to beat out Beasley and or Sanders, but if he's starting on the outside, he can be really good. My next pick is Kirk Cousins. I wanted a third quarterback as a stabilization type player. If I have Burrow, I have Lawrence. You know, I, I have faith in both those guys, but Cousins is going to give me like three deliverable weeks in best ball per year. He always does that. And he's a pretty stabilizing force. 
After that, in pick number 174 in the 15th round, I took Sterling Shepard. There's just so many injuries on the Giants' offense. I don't know why Sterling Shepard is just being completely written off. When healthy, he's going to be on the field like 100% of the time. Uh, So I thought that was a cheap way to get some access to the Giants' offense, which I really have none of. So I like that. Any standouts in here? No, yeah, you're taking Chubba Hubbard, so you're taking backups. Darius Slayton is another option as opposed to Sterling Shepard. I did not get a chance to draft him. Nico Collins, I like a lot. He went to Scott Fish, so he's another target that you could have laid here. Uh, Traquan, all the buzzes on Callaway right now. You can see Rashad Bateman because the injury fell down. I think that he's a better best ball target than a season-long target. He's a watchless guy for season-long leagues just because of that injury. You can go pick him up after week three instead of wasting the spot on him. I took Cole Komet in the 16th round as I needed a, a someone who didn't have the same bye week as Travis Kelsey to throw in, and out of everyone that was left, I like Komet. Devontae Booker, Saquon's primary handcuff, went to me. John Brown in Vegas at 221. Who else would I have taken here? Nah, there's not. I mean, Cam Newton at pick number 203 is actually not bad. If he keeps the job, that means he's good. So he's going to score a ton of fantasy points. Kenneth Gainwell goes down here. So I got I went Bills D, Chiefs D with my next two picks because I want three defenses in this spot. And uh, I haven't picked again yet. Who is my pre-selection draft made here? It's probably another defense if I had to get. Now, now I don't even know who it is. I'm not even logged into it. Anyway, so that's the draft review for me. So you can get a sense of what people are doing in drafts right now. You can see some of the mistakes I made. And it wasn't even really a mistake. It's just the faith that I thought that Harris, Mixon, or Ridley would fall to me in the second round. And when they didn't, it kind of blew up my draft a lot. Although I guess the, taking Ridley and taking Hopkins was exactly the same thing on how I had to shift my strategy, but not getting one of those running backs early. The one thing that I did not want to do was panic in that situation and then go grab guys. And you can say that maybe I did that with Mike Davis. However, I'm a bit higher on Mike Davis than the rest of the people seem to be. So I wasn't too concerned about Mike Davis in the third round or in the fourth round because I was able to get McLaurin in the third. So my receivers on paper, I think are the best in this league uh, just because I continue to double down. But it really factors into Jamar Chase being really good, Marvin Jones being really good. And I think that they can be and they will be usable on a week-to-week basis. So you can see how drafts go off the rails and you need to pivot strategies really quickly if that's going to be a part of it. So don't get yourself tied in to one draft strategy going forward. Anyway, that will do it for me on the Pat Mayo Experience. Please tune in every single day. I got the Tool Show coming out on Monday. We'll have more throughout the course of the weekend. Fantasy football picks and bets on Mayo Media Network. Subscribe to the YouTube channel and subscribe to that on the podcast feed as well. That will have more breakdowns. Uh, It'll be half and half. It'll be half actionable preseason betting and DraftKings information along with prizepicks.com. Use code MMN at prizepicks. If you deposit $100, bucks, you will get $200 bucks at prizepicks.com. So I highly suggest you do that. We have been winning money on prizepicks so far. Uh, so you can watch those shows. Plus, we're going to have you know top fives, like top five players to target, top five you know players to avoid as the back end of those shows. So it works for a DraftKings and season-long perspective if that is information you are into. I'll be doing giveaways at the PME on Twitter. Uh, so follow me over there rate and review the podcast smash like button sub to the show and run the sims.com slash mayo is where you can get access to all of the tools all of the projections and at slash mayo get you a discount there is a free seven day cancellation policy where you'll get a full refund if you don't like the tools which i doubt you won't because you will like those tools all right i'm pat mayo good luck i'll see you next time experience experience